Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday the 20th of November. Coming up in today's show, I've got a, a really a fascinating insight into the state of uh, women's entrepreneurship in the UK today, uh, recorded uh, in several locations over the last few days, uh, in particular on Women's Enterprise Day, which was Wednesday last week as part of Enterprise Week in the UK. And a terrific insight into some of the challenges and issues facing female entrepreneurs today, but also uh, some varying views on whether or not there was a, a real issue uh, whether women should be treated differently or whether the problem really is that women should be treated the same. Uh, some fascinating insights, some uh, great entrepreneurs and business people interviewed, so do stay tuned for that. There'll also be the return of Kelvin Jones, the Entrepreneur's Diary returns, and we'll be squeezing that in at the end of the show, so uh, keep listening. Uh, but first, let me say a big thank you to Sage, uh, the business management software company uh, that services uh, nearly 5.4 million customers worldwide. Uh, and as you know, they have uh, 700,000 small and medium-sized business customers in the UK alone. Uh, very much their software and services are aimed at uh, accounts, payroll, forecasting, business intelligence, uh, customer relationship management, e-business, and um, all sorts of help for startups. So whatever the size of your business uh, they, their software and products can help and their services including uh, Excel support, HR advice and health and safety uh, training courses and so on uh, all there to, to help you and support your business and I also had the great pleasure of meeting up with uh, Joe Ray who is the Managing Director of Sage's Small Business Division in the UK, uh, Dawn Baker who's a marketing uh, supremo in the SME section um, and Lisa Graveling um, at a launch event uh, for uh, again uh, their heartbeat survey which is an annual survey of small businesses and uh, I have a brief interview with Joe uh, later on in the show because one of the aspects that was covered in that survey was uh, women in business or, or female entrepreneurship so it fits quite nicely in with the rest of the show but now let's get to the point and go straight into those interviews on women in business what do you see as the biggest challenge facing female business owners trying to stop people making out that there's something odd, weird or different about us. We aren't. We're exactly the same as men, just our bits are in different places. The challenges for women do remain pretty different from men and why conferences like this are so um, useful to women is that they are still finding it quite difficult out there to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. You hear that again and again, they're not being taken seriously by financiers or just general you know, business people and they have less confidence than men when putting themselves forward in challenging situations. The biggest problem females have is actually, I think men are scared of female, powerful females. The challenges that people face in setting up in businesses are not necessarily to do with gender, I just think they're generic challenges. There are also massive advantages to being a woman in the construction industry and, and I very much sort of play on those to my advantage. Yeah. The voices there are five very different but very successful uh, businesswomen in the UK today and uh, their varying opinions uh, about what it takes to be successful uh, and whether or not gender has a role to play uh, makes for fascinating listening uh, as we discuss the issues but there are 
some facts that have been released last week on, on and around Women's Enterprise Day uh, that demonstrate the situation uh, that women face in the UK in sort of factual terms. Um, men are still twice as likely as women to set up their own businesses, and only 15% of all businesses are actually owned by women. And female directors earn on average 22% less than their male counterparts, um, according to research from the uh, Institute of Directors. But there's also some encouraging um, data recently put out by ProS, the organization that um, supports um, and encourages uh, entrepreneurship amongst women. Uh, their recent survey shows that compared to 1990, the number of women moving from employment to self-employment increased as a percentage from 22.2% of all those moving to 326 of all those moving. So that's people moving from employment into self-employment or, or into running their own business. Um, the, the figure for men correspondingly dropped as a percentage during that period. So more women look like they are looking towards uh, business and entrepreneurship as uh, a genuine opportunity, either uh, as a, a career from the outset or after uh, having had children uh, to find greater flexibility. But the statistics have complexities within them too. They reflect the reality of the situation on the ground. Um, and a, a recent survey from uh, SAGE, uh, their annual heartbeat survey of over 2,000 sm uh, small business uh, decision makers, uh, highlights some of the subtle differences between uh, the perception and the reality. And I spoke to Joe Ray, Managing Director of SAGE's Small Business Division in the UK, about those statistics. Okay, well, the interesting um, stats from the survey, Alex, are that actually it's all about perceptions. Mm -hmm. So businesses out there actually don't believe that women are fairly represented in the UK boardroom. And when they say UK boardroom, what they really mean is you know, the top jobs in business. Mm -hmm. Now, in actual fact, although that's the perception, when you dig beneath some of the other statistics that are available, actually women's entrepreneurship and women out there running their own businesses is on the increase. So I think we've got a bit of catching up to do. The perceptions are we're not there yet, but actually underneath the surface, women are... Um, women are really gearing up to take on running their own businesses more and more in the, for the future. So... Do, do you think, Joe, that gender is less and less of an issue in terms of people starting a business? I, I think it's becoming less of an issue. The survey says there are differences in, in the way that men and women view the challenges in setting up a business. Uh, more women than men believe that there's more red tape, for example, is an issue in setting up a business. But generally, um, I think it's it is becoming less and less of an issue. I think the, is the challenges that people face in setting up a business is are not necessarily to do with gender. I just think they're generic challenges. And this is very much the point of view of Anne Duncan, who is the founder and managing director of Yellowfin, a high-growth marine engineering company uh, based down on the south coast, who has, is a serial entrepreneur by her own confession uh, and has an extraordinary ability to raise finance and convert uh, business ideas into a successful business reality. Were you born an entrepreneur? I mean, are, are, there, are there traits that um, were unusual in you as a woman or is it just simply traits that are unusual in you as an individual? I think I've often had this sort of discussion with people mm. and I think that entrepreneurs are born. Yeah. I do think you have certain characteristics which enable you to be an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and I think that they can either be 
uh, hampered by your upbringing mm-hmm. or brought out by your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you need a, a, free, a fairly independent free upbringing in order for that entrepreneurial spirit to come out. But I think it shows itself at a very early age. And, and how did there it demonstrate? There are various things my parents have told me. Oh, yeah, go on. And, uh, you know, they do show this sort of entrepreneurial spirit at quite an early age. Uh, any Independence, examples? certainly. Independence. Okay, and yeah. uh, certainly knowing your own mind and being able to stand up for yourself. Yeah. They tell the story that, uh, but this is just one instance. Mm, mm. Uh, I was in the north of England. Mm-hmm. at, I think, about the age of eight or nine, mm-hmm. and went to this village school. And I'd come from a girls' school here in the sort of south of England. Yeah. And caning was absolutely unheard of. Mm. Well, I wasn't I wasn't that naughty, but I think I w- talked quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so the headmaster wanted to cane me. Right. So apparently I just, I said to the headmaster, well, you're not going to cane me. And apparently I walked out of the school and I never went back. <laughs> and he didn't. So Excellent. at an early age, I must have sort of had something that sort of yeah. said to him, well... <laughs> so so uh, no, the, the, no, but I think the entrepreneurial spirit, I think it's there. I think it's a sort of, it's a resilience, it's an independence, it's a yeah. sort of... Um, all the characteristics of entrepreneurs, you know, the dynam- dynamism, the... Yes. And of course, but certainly in the independent spirit. I, I mean, if you read Richard Branson's, if you read all the entrepreneurs, if you read their biographies, yeah, you'll find a they did have that freedom, but b they they did have that independence in them. Michelle Rosenberg, on the other hand, has just published a book where she interviews a number of Britain's most successful entrepreneurs, um, including Christine Rucker of the White Company, uh, Saha Heshemi of the Coffee Republic, uh, Laura Tennyson of Jojo Mama Baby, and so on. So I asked uh, Michelle whether she thought uh, women had a particular way of doing business, whether the people she'd interviewed had a style um, uh, that was peculiar to their gender in terms of running a business successfully. Some of them do in the sense that they're not afraid to use their feminine side, if you like, in the sense that they're not afraid to use emotion, use their intuition, use their sensitivity as a bonus in their businesses. A lot of them take their responsibilities to their staff, to their suppliers, very, very seriously. It's not to say that men don't, but a lot of them, the majority of the women said that being a woman, being a woman rather, is actually an asset because they can use those often seen that those sort of those softer skills that are often seen as weaknesses actually as strengths mm. now i have one concern about this whole um uh, male entrepreneur we female entrepreneur um women in business men in business debate and that is that um is it really about gender isn't aren't there weak men weak women strong men strong women sensitive men sensitive women isn't this all a bit of a um, a useful isn't gender a useful pigeonhole in this context? I don't know whether it's a pigeonhole. I just think, for me personally, it's a point of interest. I'm not interested in male entrepreneurs. I don't know why. Perhaps it's as a woman, I'm interested in seeing how other women in similar situations to my own can can make it. Um, I think that it, perhaps it's something new. Perhaps you know. Successful businessmen is something that has been around for a long time. Mm. Um, successful women entrepreneurs, 
perhaps either hasn't been around for such a long time or perhaps it has been there quietly but is only now receiving more recognition. Do women uh, in business need to be treated differently to men in business? That's an interesting question and I had a lot of different responses from a lot of the women that I spoke to. A lot of them were very insistent that they shouldn't have to act like a man to make it in in the business world. Mm. A lot of them felt they didn't need to be suited and booted and sort of take on personality traits of typical businessmen to, to make it. Um, you know, that they felt that they, they should just kind of be who they were, be a woman, be a bit of a girly and, and, and sort of be, be themselves. Um, do women need to act like men? I don't think so. I mean, maybe in, in some respects, maybe perhaps more in the corporate world, there's still this feeling that in order to make it, they have to behave like men, you know, go to the golf days, be tough, act like they don't have a family, act like they don't mind working all hours. Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's quite outdated, and I think that's a reflection. Also, you'll see that so many women are actually building up their own businesses because they find going back to the corporate world after they've had children very unsatisfying um, because that sort of um, ethos does exist. They find it doesn't fit in with what they're doing. So a lot of the women that I interviewed have set up on their own precisely because of that, because they want to be themselves and make a business that reflects who they are and, and to do business their own way. So are we seeing the rise of the lipstick entrepreneur? I don't know whether they'd like being called the lipstick entrepreneur. <laughs> um, I think I think we're seeing the rise of a lot of women who want to do it their own way, who aren't perhaps going to wait for the corporate world to change, to fit in with their changing lifestyles. Um, I think a lot of women have been saying that, you know, corporates aren't particularly flexible, still aren't flexible. Maybe they're still, maybe they're talking about, um, you know, that they want to, they want to help working mothers, but I don't know if they're actually putting those words into action. And a lot of women find it difficult to, to balance looking after their families and still wanting to have a career in the corporate world. You know, the, the flexibility isn't built in there for them, so they're choosing to, to go their own route where they can have things their own way. I'm Kerry Keeling from A Woman's Touch. Um, we're a building and property maintenance company, and most of our tradespeople are actually tradeswomen. Okay. Um, so you, above, uh, above anyone else, will know whether or not uh, w- women, women uh, face different challenges to men uh, in in entrepreneurship, in running in running their own businesses, what do you think, Kerry? Um, I'd say the quick answer is no. To be honest, um, I think there probably are some issues um, if you have children or, or dependents that need you to look after them. But my situation, I don't. I'm married with no children, and I don't think I face any different challenges to a man would in my position. I know that you uh, you came from a, a corporate environment. Um, did you face were there, were there unusual uh, gender-based problems of, of working in a corporate environment? Definitely. I was in investment banking, which, again, another male-dominated industry. Mm. Um, but strangely enough, it, it was sexist, but it tended to be the women who were sexist rather than the men, right. um, weirdly enough. Um, particularly senior women seemed to be very protective of what they'd achieved and far from nurturing and encouraging those of us junior to them. Um, we often... Uh, experienced quite hostile reactions and, and openly sexist comments about you know what we should and shouldn't wear to attract a promotion and that sort of thing, which I thought was disgraceful. 
And obviously in your own business, I suppose, taking, to, um, taking perhaps that to heart subliminally, um, you, you're doing a, a great deal to increase the number of female uh, people employed in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, how challenging is it um, to, to achieve that? Um, it's very difficult. First of all, it's it's not the sort of thing that gets mentioned by your careers advisor at school. No matter what gender you are, it doesn't seem to be something that comes up, but certainly girls aren't being encouraged into the construction industry. Um, a lot of women tend to want to get into it at a later age, perhaps career change or after having children. Mm. Um, and the only training options are for them to go to a regular college with a bunch of 16-year-old boys mm. who are only there because the government gives them their £30 a week to carry on their education. And the tutors are very focused on discipline rather than actually teaching the course. Plus, they tend to be one or two days a week for a minimum of two years. And for you know a career change woman who needs to get out there, get trained and start earning money, that's really not very handy. So we offer um, apprenticeships and try and get women learning on the job. Um, but I'm also hoping to be able to set up a training college specifically to do fast track um, MVQs for, for girls and women. Okay, so you're a, a training ground for your for your staff. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think any business should be, to be honest. The, the best way to learn is from somebody who is doing what you want to do. It's the fastest way, and you're going to learn from their mistakes rather than having to make them all yourself. What's it like employing lots of women? <laughs> uh, challenging, but then I think it would be challenging employing lots of men as well. I mean, there are obvious problems um, that can come about. For example, women going off on maternity leave. Um, and particularly in our industry, it's it's very dangerous to work with oil-based paints if you're pregnant, whether you're a day pregnant or six months pregnant. So in terms of notice of maternity, I often get a day, literally. Somebody rings up that morning and tells me they've just found out they're pregnant and, and that's it. I don't mm. see them again for you know a couple of years. So it is, it's got its own problems, but there are also massive advantages to being a woman in the construction industry. And, and I very much sort of play on those to my advantage. Yeah. The remarkable Kerry Keeling of A Woman's Touch there, a, a company she set up to challenge those cowboy builders. Um, she employs a lot of female um, trades people um, and uh, quit her job as an investment banker and is doing amazingly well. Uh, she was also a, a former winner of the uh, Every Woman uh, Awards, annual awards, um, and I attended the Every Woman Conference, which took place on the Wednesday of Enterprise Week and managed to catch up with um, Karen Gill, who was the is the co-founder of Every Woman. So, Karen, how's the conference going? It's going really, really well. We've had a record number of women come this year. This is our seventh year, actually, run run the Every Woman conference. Yeah. Um, but we've got nearly 400 women here. And as you can probably, you know, see and hear, it's very, very exciting. Yeah. Um, and we've covered a lot of ground already this morning. Yeah, I've been I've been sampling a bit of the buzz in the coffee bre- at the coffee break, and I'll, I'll I'll be interviewing a few just brief brief moments with a few of the delegates Great. so getting a good impression well they've, had, they've, they've really spent a morning getting really solid and great advice from women that have been there and done and built big yeah. successful businesses martha lane fox was the keynote speaker and then we just had four panelists of women business owners why do women still need advice dedicated to them well because i think the challenges for women do remain pretty different from men um, and, you know, we just did a piece of research with Nat West about what is it that's motivating women to start businesses because mm-hmm. actually there's an increase in the number of women that are moving into self-employment and enterprise. There's a 10% increase, and yet there's a decline 
with men mm. moving from employment into mm. self um, self-employment and that's really interesting so we wanted to look at what was motivating women to do that and the big 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 key factor is being your own boss so that you can have more control over your life more flexibility more work-life balance they mm. remain key motivational factors and women are recognizing actually self-employment and business ownership can give them that where you then see some areas of difference and why conferences like this are so um, useful to women is that they are still finding it quite difficult out there to be taken seriously mm -hmm. you hear that again and again they're not being taken seriously by financiers or just general you know business people and they have a real um, uh, they have less confidence than men when putting themselves forward in challenging situations, and that's always a very strong theme that comes out in our conferences. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the one of the things that is sometimes cited is that the the problem is not necessarily that you know it's difficult to get finance or that um, you know women are taken less seriously. It is actually um, a comfort as you were touched upon a confidence issue and that with with some support and guidance and inspiration from from other business mm. women who mm. have been there and done it and got the t-shirt so to speak mm. um, they one you know a female business a prospective female business owner develops that confidence and is then able to um, attract finance in much the same way as a, yeah. as a, a confident man might yes exactly but I think that what happens is is because women are being uh, driven by their passion it may be something they're very very passionate about and because they're driven by this um, need for flexibility and control that the financial motivation is not coming high up, high up on the list and mm. therefore it's not being given the due consideration maybe that it needs to be given and therefore then when they go and talk finance to people they're maybe not as passionate or as competent yeah. in that area as they would be when they're actually talking about their business this morning we've had four panelists they've talked all about people all about staff all about motoring the people actually finance has not come up once mm. but it is a key issue because yeah. as Martha said one of her things her piece key nuggets of advice for the audience was you need lots of money to mm. grow a big mm. business mm. and you need to get that money on board I think the other thing is of course is we've all got to recognize that you know we haven't got all the strengths you need in a business so if we recognize that as a group maybe we're not the best deployed to do that there are plenty of people out there that are and you need to bring them in the business to deal with that side of it because underfinancing can be crippling to a business. One woman who has had no difficulty or indeed lack of confidence in negotiating uh, the right level of funding for her businesses um, is Anne Duncan, whose current company, Yellowfin, uh, the innovative jet um, boat propulsion system that she has designed, although it hasn't yet gone into production, has attracted significant private equity funding and despite uh, market wobbles, um, is uh, anticipating a launch on the AIM market this side of Christmas? I think anyone would tell you that's, that's one of my strengths. Yeah. Uh, negotiating funding. Mm. And that, that, I suppose, might be quite unusual. Mm. Uh, because I believe if you read sort of the statistics on female entrepreneurs, yeah. uh, funding is one of the difficulties they have mm. yeah. quite often. Now, I but I think if you, it's, it's, it, I mean, if you prepare a good business plan and you present it well, I don't think it matters whether you're female or male, to be honest. Yeah. People invest in management teams. They invest in people. Yes. Yeah. And so it's presenting yourself well. And, and I don't happen to think that this glass ceiling really exists. Mm. Mm. I think it's in people's minds very often. 
So there's a there's a certain amount of confidence. If you can go in with confidence, male or Absolutely. female, you'll succeed, or more likely yes. to succeed. Yeah. Um, uh, and when you say say funding, what type of funding did you secure in order, to, for example, to get Yellowfin off the ground? It, it was a private equity group, really. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of somebody who sold out of a travel business, and it's the group that he set up around him. Okay. Uh, so. I guess it's it's grown now, but I guess at the start there were about twenty to thirty. Yeah, they're not all investors in our company, but that that's the group that he had. Mm. I think nobody quite knows how I, you know, managed to keep the shareholding <laughs> that I have. Right. But, okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> how do you think you've managed to keep and the, the value shareholding of the company that you have has increased? Well, you know, although we don't have a turnover, the value of the company has increased along the way as well. But that presumably you know, the, ne- the nearer we get to production, yeah. obviously. And, yeah. yeah, and presumably uh, the 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 I mean the intellectual property and so on and so forth creates a value around your business. It does, and that's what they were investing in at the start, of course. Yeah, and yeah. you had that tied down before you went into the into the. Um, yes, and they had they, they did their due diligence and so yeah. on on that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, a- any tips on how to uh, screw the most out private equity companies? <laughs> so it's about credibility, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's about a firmness and knowing how far you can go without putting people off. Yes. What you can ask for without putting them putting them off. Yeah. And I. But I, I guess if I've got any tip, it's to always ask for more than you you need or want. Yes. Why? You can always go backwards, but you can never go up. Okay, yeah, yeah. From a negotiating standpoint, that yes, makes a lot of sense. from a but, negotiating stance, yes. But also from, uh, just from a pure business perspective, my guess would be that in businesses like yours and many other businesses, um, you, oh, you, you need more money need, than yes. you think you do. <laughs> yes, so you want to find the amount you think you need and then probably double it, yes. Yeah, yeah. But equally within realistic valuation of the company as it stands. Yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. If, we, if we carry on that, that kind of um, funding thought for a moment, I know that you have ambitions to float on AIM. That's right, I think, isn't it? Yes, we are going to float on AIM, yes. In fact, we would have already floated on AIM. But as you know, the market, the credit market, yes. dried up. Indeed. And then the taper relief that the Chancellor yes. announced yeah, uh, made it dry up even further mm. for our type of company, yeah, entrepreneurial yeah. companies, uh, who's as yet, you know, as yet we don't have a turnover. Yeah. So, but we are still going to float now be, be, before Christmas. Oh, really? Before Christmas? Okay. Yeah. Yes, I know that sounds, but we will just still get it in. I think. <laughs> okay. Um, well, hopefully they'll have they'll have fiddled fiddled with taper the, relief before. That's right. Well, I'm know. hoping that. Although maybe not um, if private equity is it's a bit diffy, isn't it, with private the, equity? Um, it's the valuation that... that yes. Uh, and, of course, our investors have been in the company a long time. Mm. And uh, obviously the valuations aren't what they were several months ago. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, so it, it will, it, you know, it, it, is a, it is a hit. Yeah. And um, how, has, how have you in sort of practical terms, prepared for that? Um, Well, I think from the start, you have to prepare people for the fact that uh, we might have a certain valuation, but and they might have come in at a certain valuation, but you're never sure what the market's going to do. Mm. Because we've seen the market. I mean, they know the market can go, you know, and the FTSE, they can, 
go up and down. I mean, we've had a relatively stable time for many years now. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I suppose where pri- if a private if private equity is already has a sh- has already has a share of the business, then potentially the va- the valuation could be uh, could be below what they've already invested, couldn't it? I mean, it in terms could of well. shares. Yeah. Yes. How would do you manage that? Well, I, if we float on AIM, it doesn't really matter. We float, we'll only float twenty five percent of the company. Okay. Yeah. So and remember that. Uh, we're, as I say, we're not quite in production. We'll be in production next year. Mm. So obviously the value then is the value, and we've got a lot of things in the offering that are happening. Mm. Uh, we already have sort of distributor contracts signed up and so on. Yeah. But we've got a lot of other things happening. And so the valuation will increase. So they're not necessarily going to be selling their shares now. No, absolutely. In yeah. fact, yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll probably have a year lock-in. Yes, I mean, they'd be so, mad. They'd be mad to sell. And by the sell, time they're they? selling them, you know, it'd probably be well above what they came in at. So. Yeah. I mean, once you actually start selling product, presumably, I mean, it, exactly, it'll, it'll start yeah. moving in the the right direction if it if it doesn't immediately. Yes. My name's Caroline Newman. I'm the managing director of Newman Consulting Limited. We provide bespoke consultancy and coaching and training services to the legal profession. My biggest challenge today as a female business owner is cash flow and in finding finance to grow your business. I've already invested a lot of my own personal finance into it and now the challenge is finding a bank or an angel who will invest in the growth of the business. Hello, my name's Elaine Fairfax. I'm the Managing Director and Founder of Animal Friends Insurance. Um, The biggest problem females have is actually, I think men are scared of female, powerful females. Um, I don't know why, because obviously we're exactly the same as men in every respect in business. But I think they just don't know how to deal with us. So, you know, when you go into a meeting, I think they're used to dealing with, you know, certain chatter and banter. And all of a sudden, that's that's not on and then suddenly they're they're not that comfortable and some of them can be quite hostile and they do almost like pick a fight with you just to see what you're made of Um, and you've got to be strong you've really got to be tough I mean obviously I'm in the insurance industry which is predominantly male and you have really got to be up there fighting your corner all the time. Hi, I'm Caroline Marshall Foster, I'm Managing Director of Wordhouse Publishing Group and Masterflorist.com. Okay, and what, is, uh, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing female business owners? Trying to stop people making out that there's something odd, weird or different about us. We aren't. We're exactly the same as men, just our bits are in different places. <laughs> That's another good answer. <laughs> uh, there is a f- I want a follow-up now, but I'm going to leave it because I... <laughs> well, you can. I have a follow-up question, which is, well, why are you at a, why are you at a women's enterprise conference? It's the very first time I've ever been here and I thought I have to see what it's like to be in a room of 400 women to see if it's going to be majorly different. Um, It's been interesting so far. Three women who I managed to grab, so to speak. Sounds a bit iffy. At the uh, Every Woman Conference uh, coffee break uh, with some interesting different perspectives on the challenges or, or in fact the lack of challenges facing women in business today. Nevertheless, um, Michelle Rosenberg in her book Inspiring Women, How Real Women Succeed in Business identified that um, women did have different priorities, different needs, um, different motivations, but 
particularly in relation to family, particularly and fitting their businesses around their family. But like uh, men, um, there are different types of women, different types of men, different behavior, different characteristics. Uh, it's not a kind of, uh, oh, gender is not a catch-all for the um, complexity of people's motivations, as I've mentioned earlier. Michelle had some quite interesting things to say on the subject. Women are at a stage where they can have whatever they want. So, you know, they can they can either choose to be at home and look after the children and do that full time. They can choose to go back to work mm. and do that full time, or they can have a little bit of both. Um, and I think it, it's interesting to speak to and interview the women who try to do both and, and, and try and see how they balance them, and to find out that they're not superwomen. Mm. Um, that it's I mean I I personally don't believe, and neither do many of the women that I that I spoke to, that it's that there is this superwoman. They have all said that it's impossible to be all things to all people. Mm. And one woman actually said that in trying to be the perfect mother, wife, businesswoman, and so on, she was failing miserably at all of them, and one of them had to give. Mm. And she ended up making the decision that, that worked personally for her, which was to send her children off to boarding school. Mm. Um, and she says that, you know, at the time she felt a pang, but the children have come back very feisty and independent and um, with a great appreciation for what she does. So she doesn't regret that, that you know, that works for mm. her. Mm. Annabelle Carmel, in, in comparison, has always fitted her business around the children's hours and what they were doing. So they all do it very, very differently. And I think that's where the interest is. Aren't most female entrepreneurs uh, and most female business owners really interested in what's become known as lifestyle businesses? No, and this is what came up in Small Business Week, and, and actually it's become a term that a lot of women business owners are getting very mm. you know, fed up with, mm. because what does lifestyle mean? Mm. Um, and I think it was a term that were given to businesses because women tended to go into um, small service type industries that were, were there basically to give them a hobby, etc. And that, that, those days have just gone. Mm. You know, our, we've got 30, over 30,000 members and our membership is based of women that are running scaffolding companies, mm. building companies, mm. service companies, retail. Mm. They are across, they're getting into businesses across the board. And... The lifestyle issue is about that they're running it on their terms, yeah. but not lifestyle business has this negative thing that means mm. it doesn't make money. Mm. You can have a great business that suits your lifestyle that's earning lots of money, yeah. and that's what it's about. And we do want to grow big businesses. Yeah. The fact of the matter remains, though, whether you're male or female, relatively few businesses out of the 4.6-odd million in the mm. UK are actually medium-sized businesses, in fact a tiny, relatively tiny proportion, so relatively few businesses that are started up uh, actually grow large. How do you address that and, and does it matter? I'm not sure, and I'm not an economist, that it does matter. I think, yes, the, arg the argument that was uh, the debate that was going on in Small Business Week was about we need bigger business because they create more employment, etc. But the world is changing. Mm. And again, we heard today just how the individual is becoming more in control of everything, mm. how companies like Marks and Spencers are using 
um, social networking groups mm. to give them the, the feedback they need. And, mm. you know, really every individual is taking responsibility for their purchasing decisions and their, now their business life. And self-employment is increasing at a great mm. rate. And I guess what we have to look at for the economy is collectively, if we have a really enterprising culture that is made up of lots and lots of small businesses and collectively they are creating a very dynamic and fast-moving economy, mm. then that's good. Why does it have to be run? Why does the economy have to be run by, you know, seven or eight big businesses mm. controlled by seven mm. or eight big businessmen? Mm. I don't think that's the way the future is going to be. Okay. Karen Gill, thanks very much. Okay. Karen, the co-founder of Every Woman There. And I think whether or not uh, women in business in the UK are developing lifestyle businesses to suit the way they want to live their lives, whether they're like um, Anne Duncan and building technologically uh, advanced, uh, fast growth businesses for launch on AIM, there is room for everybody. Uh, there is no right way or wrong way to be in business other than the fact that you want to be making money. Um, uh, the ambitions can be small or they can be large. And I think that applies across genders. What's uh, fascinating from the interviews that I've conducted, and I hope you'll agree um, over the last uh, half hour or so, is there's a, a clear vibrancy amongst uh, female entrepreneurs in the UK. And that's something to be uh, valued and um, applauded. Now, talking of uh, entrepreneurs, we move to Kelvin Jones, the recently married entrepreneur. Hi, I'm Kelvin Jones, and this is Diary of a Wantrepreneur, entry number four. So it's been a few months since my last entry into the diary, and um, Alex alluded as to the reason for this uh, in his last um, show, which was that I got married in August, and um, that uh, is kind of the, leading up to the wedding kind of dominated everything um, for a while there so that's why it's been a bit quiet um, but I'm just going to go over some of the things that I've been doing in the last few months which well, it's been a, a, a bit quieter on the business front um, but but let's go through them um, after the, the last entry I got the designs back from the designer who did a great job um, designing the website and designing the kind of identity of the website and things like this um, he did a great job, so from that I was able to to start the development of the site in earnest, um, and that's going very well. Um, it had to kind of be put on the back burner a little during the the the, the wedding and the run up to the wedding, but we're kind of getting back on track with that now. So whilst um, things were put on the back burner, I still kept in my mind um, something that I've been thinking about for a few months, but didn't really have the time to um, to take a step back and focus on. I remember an interview Alex did with Professor Atch um, in Small Biz Pod, uh, episode number 37. Uh, that was quite a while, I think it was in April. Um, and they were exploring the kind of the entrepreneurial mindset of uh, UK's entrepreneurs and, and why maybe they're, they're not as ambitious as, as their American counterparts. Um, yeah, really, you know, I really started thinking long and hard about eventually where I want this business to go and I I've definitely refocused my goals on the business uh, beyond the website into the other areas which I'd like to take it which I think it definitely has the um, ability to do um, and have a really positive impact on people's lives so 
So that was good just to reassess that. And it does, doesn't really change the short-term targets or uh, the short-to-medium-term targets, but beyond that, it definitely does. Um, so that's been quite exciting thinking about that um, and, and kind of just resetting the goals. Okay, aside from that, um, I wanted to just give a quick tip to people, which I found um, quite handy. I was trying to gather some um, some research from my... Um, from the the target market of the of the website that I'm doing, and this is quite difficult because the um, the average person on the street might not be part of the the market which I'm um, which I'm aiming at, and I guess as this can happen in in um, in quite a lot of situations, in that it's difficult to find one specific place where I can go and gather a lot of information. So instead of going and hanging out on the street for hours and hours and hours, what I actually did is I I set up a Google AdWords campaign, which is their like advertising network, and I just um, I set an advert up and and targeted at specific keywords which I think would um, or I know were were targeted at um, the kind of audience that I, I I was looking to to attract to the website, and I linked this um, ad campaign to a form which I built using a website with, called wufoo.com and that's w-u-f-o-o.com and that um, website is basically a web application that allows you to create forms um, in, in your browser really simply so you don't need any programming knowledge um, and so I created a, um, a multiple choice uh, questionnaire just four questions in length um, just to try and, and, and see uh, kind of where the land lies in, in some key questions which I, I wanted to get the answer to. Um, and that was really helpful and the cost was quite low uh, compared to um, uh, travelling to a conference or something like that and, and trying to, um, and, and, yeah, you know, just any other methods I could think of. It was, it was a, a fairly economical way of, of getting some um, a key insight into uh, the market which I'm after. And so that might help anyone else who's, I guess, trying to, you know, thinking, you know, have an idea of uh, setting up a website or, or something else to, for that matter, um, just to really easily get um, an, an insight like that and for very, very little effort indeed. Um, so that is pretty much it, really. So I'll hand over to you, Alex, and I'll speak to you next time. Bye bye. Well, I had the great pleasure of going for a pint with Kelvin not so long ago. So uh, he's as, uh, he's as, good a chap as he sounds on the podcast um, and I'm increasingly uh, he wouldn't let me know by the way uh, what his business uh, venture is even though I bought him a few few pints and uh, I couldn't get him drunk enough but it'll be fascinating to hear uh, when all is revealed and to see indeed what his site is. Great tips there Kelvin too about um, checking markets or surveying markets cheaply and uh, efficiently. So thanks ever so much for that. And I look forward to your next diary entry. Uh, other than that, um, thanks to some guys who signed up to the Frapper map. Um, you know who you are. I'm not going to go through uh, feedback from listeners this week because it's a very packed show. Um, suffice it to say, I will come to everybody in due course. So keep that feedback coming. If you haven't already completed the Small Biz Pod survey um, to give me an idea of what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see, uh, then please head over to the, just click on that little iPod Touch 
icon on the homepage at smallbizpod.co.uk and uh, it'll only take five or ten minutes of your time to fill in that survey and it would be very much appreciated. So thanks very much for doing that. And just before Christmas, I will pull out one name from the proverbial hat. Uh, uh, Anyone who completes that survey um, and will be in that hat and that name, when I draw it, will win... Uh, uh, an 8 gigabyte iPod Touch. So it'd be a nice Christmas present from Small Biz Pod to you. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. I thought it was really rather good, although I say so myself. Thanks to all those contributors. And to conclude, uh, I've got a great piece, uh, a great track by um, an artist called Okbalt. Uh, he's from Finland. And the track on the monotonic label is called Okno. You want me to know Everything about you I could read you like a book But I wouldn't You just like me